This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. It's the Now News Panel on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown, joined by Julia Gupta and Michelle McQuig. One more topic on deck for you. The British Columbia Securities Commission will start paying people who provide information about investment fraud and other financial misconduct. The Securities Commission whistleblower awards will range from $1,000 to $250,000. The amounts will depend on how quickly the information is provided, how it contributes to enforcement outcomes, and the seriousness of the offenses. The Commission will use an online portal to receive tips. Michelle McQuig, I think this idea is fair enough. I'm actually a little bit surprised they hadn't had something like this in place already. But what do you think about this approach, encouraging people to whistleblow and snitch? I mean, it seems to be directly modeled on something like Crime Stoppers, uh, which I, I don't have metrics on how successful programs like that are, but those sorts of initiatives are all over the place. And, and uh, presumably they're still around because they do yield some results. So, yeah, th this seems like an interesting uh, and, and, and not too problematic way to, to go about it. Um, initially, I was a bit surprised, but yeah, no, it, it makes sense that this requires some more specialized knowledge. These are these are different kinds of crimes, and uh, instituting a system and a reward system seems seems reasonable enough in that it's very explicit that it's tied to uh, a number of factors like how soon the information is provided, what kind of enforcement action it leads to, and no money would be paid out unless there is specific enforcement action taken. Mm -hmm. So there are pretty clear metrics on when the money would apply. And uh, as such, it seems like it, it seems to be a, a, a fairly sound idea that's executed in, in a very relatively clear fashion, which is not something you always see either. Joita, I, I don't have raw numbers in front of me at the moment, but I can tell you that financial fraud is, is a really big deal. Financial fraud and white collar crime is a big, big deal, whether that be in terms of uh, deceiving people for their money or whether it be things like money laundering. This stuff's all a big deal to me. And I think anything you can do to try and crack down on that is probably a darn good idea. Yeah, I mean, in theory, it's a good idea, but I am a little skeptical. I mean, what it shows us is that Canada at least has not been very good in terms of its crackdown on yeah. enforcement <laughs> yeah. of white-collar crime. And what happened to the regulatory bodies? What happened to the role of the police? I mean, perhaps we should be more proactive about prosecuting white-collar crime. I still remember, you know, the CRA dragging its feet about the Panama Papers. Conrad Black was not was not prosecuted here, but in the U.S. And although we say the United States is very freewheeling and market-oriented, the reality is they are more likely than we are here in Canada to crack down and prosecute white-collar crime. So, mm. you know, do we then lean on uh, tipsters? Is that our best approach to tackle something that has serious and far-reaching repercussions? I think it really speaks to the fact that many of the mechanisms we have in place, the regulatory bodies, perhaps the banks, perhaps the police, maybe they need to up their game. And that's a, a more surefire way to ensure that we're actually going after the people we need to go after. Because my <laughs> concern with this approach is that what if it generates a whole bunch of bogus claims? Now you have to investigate everything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, that, that would be my one— Smoke bombs. Smoke, smoke bombs, bombs everywhere to distract from the mm -hmm. bigger, broader issue. That would be it. Uh, yeah, Michelle, and I think that's where the dollar amount comes in on this as well. Like you said, there's a clear metric yeah. for like when something's going to get paid out. But I'll say this much. If I was inside a company 
and let's just say it was some sort of Ponzi scheme, if I whistleblow on this, 50 grand is not necessarily enough to make me necessarily want to lose my job forever. Yeah, that's fair. I, I mean, there's... <sighs> Not, not that I'm involved I, in a Ponzi scheme. Dave Brown Consulting is all above board. It's entirely, yeah, yes. Very straight up and, and legitimate organization there. Yeah, no, that that's a very fair point, as is Joe Eda's, I would say, about where the enforcement aspect is going to come in. Uh, because going back to my own analogy, I'm going to undermine my own premise here, but Crime Stoppers is a tool used in support of an existing system that then executes those things. So it does raise questions about systems. The comparison to the U.S. is apt. I remember when I... I did a brief stint in our business department at Canadian Press, and when I joined, I asked someone in my naivete, what's the Canadian of the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission in the United States? And, and they straight up laughed in my face because there isn't one. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, the, the, yeah, there are – I don't know, but the, the, the financial amount to me – it could, you're right. I don't think it would be enough for me either, but for some people, perhaps their conscience is a burden enough that they're trying to contend with and they want to use this as a springboard to something else and this would buy them time. I don't know, right? Yeah, There's other factors yeah. that that could mitigate the potential paltriness of these sum. And, and in some cases, it could be as low as a thousand bucks. And for those people, perhaps that wouldn't uh, lead them to take the risk of whistleblowing. But I, I do think that there is a certain acknowledgement of the risk that's run when people do whistleblow, because that is not... Uh, an enterprise to be undertaken lately. Uh, it, it's a very bold move for those yeah. who actually have material to share and who go down that road. Yeah, I, that's it. I, I think the idea of being a whistleblower is a very difficult one. Maybe it's that I've consumed too many mob movies, but the <laughs> idea of being a snitch just seems like really difficult to me, Joita. And Joita, that's not to undermine the importance of whistleblowing. I, I just I just think that it's like so hard to make that choice, and I don't know if it's just money that can move the needle for someone. Yes, you're right. I think that's, that's where it becomes really tricky, because ultimately it comes down to principles more than money. And I, I think it is worth yeah. noting, because we should have just mentioned this off the top, that you still make your tips anonymously. So you're not likely to lose your job uh, unless they can, you know, prove that you were the one to make uh, to make the tip. Or, yeah, if, or, if your or company gets the... closed down, though, right? Like, yeah, you're, you're then you lose, lose your, your job. job. But you know, if you think you're going to face retaliation, I mean, there, it does. You can still make your tips anonymously. It's only when you have to claim your reward do you, do you need to come forward. Um, and I think it, when it comes to anyone who's ever been a whistleblower, like if you listen to an interview, like you know, they'll often bring them on to talk about it after the fact. People often talk about the conscience, you know, how it really bothered yes. them that something was happening. And I think it comes down to people's ethics and their belief in what is right and wrong. Uh, and that's going to be more a deciding factor than any amount of money. Uh, morals and ethics. That's a great way to wrap up a Friday conversation. <laughs> Joanna, thank you for hanging out with me in studio. It was great to have you here. It was a pleasure. And Michelle, always nice to catch up with you. I'm on vacation next week, Likewise. so have fun talking oh, to enjoy. Alex. Yeah, have fun talking to Alex Smythe on Monday. Will do. Have a great time. That's Joita Gupta, the host of The Pulse on AMI-audio. And Michelle McQuig is the weekend news editor at the Canadian Press. Coming up after the break, Brock Richardson will stop by for a sports chat. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. of a live studio audience, AMI has an opportunity for you. Kelly and Ramya are taping a special episode on Monday, November the 27th. They are looking for 50 people to be part of the audience. If you live in the GTA, the Toronto area, the Big Smoke, and want to participate, all you have to do is email info at ami.ca, info at ami.ca. 
Looking for 50 folks. Space is limited though, so you gotta move fast. You gotta shake a leg. If you do attend, you get to enjoy more than just a fun episode. You receive a Kelly and Ramya gift bag. You'll also have your name entered into a draw to win one of two Apple gift cards valued at $500 each. That's a lot of apples. There's also five $50 Tim Hortons gift cards. That's a lot of donuts that you can share with me. The thing is, if you want to win the prize, you've got to be part of the live studio, studio audience on November the 27th. The taping is going to air on a future date on AMI-TV, TBD. To confirm your participation, please email info at ami.ca. That's info at ami.ca. Maybe put Kelly and Rumya in the subject line so people know where to put it. Hope to see you there. Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Hi, I'm Jenny Bovard. Join me monthly for Low Vision Moments, where I speak with awesome guests about some of the amusing things that happen when you're blind or partially sighted. Watch on YouTube or download Low Vision Moments from your favorite podcast distributor.